Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. For our longtime listeners, you know you know the drill already at Jew in the City. Maybe you're even sick of me reviewing it, but for someone who's tuning in for the first time, we have to do a little bit of a review. We are here to tell the stories that don't get told about the Orthodox community. It's generally the bad stuff that gets told. It's generally the bad stuff that sticks out. So when someone does kindness and looks like a Jew, um, you know, an Orthodox Jew, people don't notice it as much. When someone uh, does something awful or rude or disruptive um, or illegal or abusive and looks like an Orthodox Jew, um, not only is it noticeable, people enjoy calling it out because, you know, they can call it the hypocrisy. And so, Unfortunately, um, our community, not only to the outside world, has become so known and so defined by the negativity. We've discovered here at Jew in the City that even for people within the Orthodox world, um, we have started to define ourselves by all those negative stories and stereotypes and ideas that permeate society. Um, and it brings people down. And so while we believe that the negative stuff must be spoken out against and um, worked on and changed and fixed, um, we also uh, at the same time believe that we need to highlight the good stuff. We need to remind ourselves about all the good stuff that's out there that usually happens in a very quiet way. You know, a lot of people that are fine and good people don't like to make a lot of attention from themselves. I'm an exception. I've always been a little bit more of a spotlight seeker, but I try to channel that, um, you know, part of myself to do something good and highlight positive things in Kiddush Hashem. But really, a lot of the chesed and kindness that's done, a lot of the exceptional careers that are out there, people just lay low. And so we are on the lookout here at Jew in the City for uh, the exceptional that goes unnoticed. And so our today's guest, um, I'm not sure who it was, maybe our editor, saw an article about an Orthodox Jewish guy at NASA. Um, I believe he's a rocket scientist. Um, even reading his bio, like I don't exactly understand, but um, he's going to explain that to me in a second. Um, Aaron Brown is an aerospace engineer specializing in trajectory analysis, design, and operations at NASA Johnson Space Center. He's worked as a trajectory operations officer for the International Space Station program. He's now engaged in algorithm and teaching development for the next generation of trajectory software that will support NASA's new Orion vehicle. He's also currently pursuing a doctorate degree in aerospace space engineering um and he is on our show today aaron thank you so much for joining us thank you so very much allison for having me on okay so just to clarify since i may have already embarrassed myself are you a rocket scientist um <clears throat> if you want to call me that that's okay but uh, i i don't like to call myself a rocket scientist because then it makes me sound smarter than uh i probably am Got it. But I'm saying, like, would it be fair to categorize what you do? Like, when, when people say rocket scientist, do they mean the stuff that you work in? Is that a fair way to it? Even if you don't, like, people don't say they go to Harvard. They go, Instead, they went to school in Boston um, or Cambridge. But um, I'm saying, is that is your line of work, like, technically in the rocket science field? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, given that the way that the word rocket science is used kind of colloquially when people say well, it's not rocket science, uh, okay. I'm very blessed now to work in an organization that does what I would I would very much call rocket. The stuff that I uh, do at NASA now is, uh, as you mentioned, it's uh, helping to develop software uh, that supports the uh, onboard, what's called the onboard navigation system for NASA's new Orion vehicle, and it is uh, very mathematically intensive work and uh, very computationally intensive work 
It requires a lot of software development, a lot of testing. And uh, I am I moved into that organization a couple of years ago, about actually no closer to three years ago now, two and a half, two and a half years ago actually. And uh, I am very, very blessed to work with extremely, extremely smart people. It's very, very humbling uh, moving into this particular organization because what uh, these people do and what I'm now blessed to do and privileged to do, uh, yeah, I would call it rocket science. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I'm talking to a real rocket scientist then. I just wanted to be able to say that. Okay, fine. So if we could back up before we get to the rocket science and back when you were just a little lad, um, could you just share with us first, before you began your Orthodox journey, what did your Jewish background look like kind of growing up? Where did you grow up and, you know, kind of what was your uh, Jewish education like? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I was... uh... I was born in Peoria, Illinois, which is uh, kind of central Illinois, Midwest, uh, really right in the heart of the Midwest. Can I just and interject I for a second? I, a, I had a pen pal in fourth grade. I had a pen pal in fourth grade from Peoria, Illinois. Uh, we wrote like a few times. That was the last time I heard that. I'm sorry. That was just sort of an exciting moment for me. So you were born where my pen pal um, came from. Oh, sorry, that's continue. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Grand Peoria, place. Illinois, of all places. And I, I went to a day school there called the Peoria Hebrew Day School till I was in uh, fifth grade, and it was uh, just a wonderful, wonderful experience. The, uh, the the classes were small. As you can imagine, like a whole ton of uh, Jewish kids in Peoria, um, but it was, uh, it was very wonderful and formative um, <clears throat> in that I, I think that was the beginning of, of really solidifying my Jewish identity. Uh, that being said, you know, at home, I think we, we had a very strong... Uh, Jewish identity. We weren't necessarily, though, particularly religiously observant. We didn't uh, keep kosher in the house. Uh, we weren't Shomer Shabbos. But we made sure, I, I vividly remember as a child, that we always had, we always had candles Friday night, we always made Kiddush, and we always made uh, Hamotzi, and we yeah. always ate dinner. What we did afterwards doesn't, you know, that, that kind of escapes my mind, but I, but I have this vivid memory uh, kind of as a child of doing that, and that was very uh, powerful to me. Uh, I, I remember we did we did daven in the morning at that school, and I remember mm-hmm. trying to daven a couple times at home by myself, not being very successful uh, with it. Um, so that was uh, kind of my my early years, uh, early early years. Uh, following that, uh, my folks unfortunately got divorced, and I moved up to a suburb, a northwest suburb of Chicago called Buffalo Grove, uh, where I stopped going to. Um, uh, a day school. I went to uh, a public school, but I still, my mom was uh, still very uh, uh, smart enough to definitely enroll me in uh, a Jewish program, a Jewish learning program after school. Um, it uh, it was good, and it, it provided, it, it continued to supplement my education, um, and that's where, uh, that's I was had my bar mitzvah in Buffalo Grove. Funny story, by the way, on that, uh, when I started going to the shul I go to now in Houston, uh, which is United Orthodox Synagogues, I, I was asking someone, I was talking with someone, and this person mentioned a rabbi named uh, Rabbi Erkowitz, and I said, Erkowitz, do you mean Mark Erkowitz? And they said yes, and I said, unbelievable, that's actually my bar mitzvah rav. So huh. my bar mitzvah rabbi uh, ended up being at the same shul that I was many, many years later. So nice. a small world kind of thing there. Um, after my bar mitzvah, uh, I didn't, uh, I would say I kind of was cruising from a Jewish standpoint uh, un- until and through college. 
uh, like I think most kids, or I should say a lot of kids, unfortunately, they go to, they go off to school, they start getting into the real world, and their Jewish observance either kind of maybe stays as is status quo or even declines somewhat, and I would say that mine fell into the latter category. Although, that said, you know, I still definitely celebrated the holidays. The holidays were very important to me, uh, as they are to a lot of Jews, even as a child. It was definitely a favorite memory of mine, Pesach. And uh, I always made sure to fast on Yom Kippur. That was very, very important to me uh, as I got older. And uh, that really led me to and through college. And that's, I think, if, uh, I'd say that's that's probably more than you wanted to know. But that's the well, where, where was college? I'm wondering where did you go to college? My Jewish life, kind of before observance. Oh, and where, where did you go to college? Oh, I went to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign for my uh, undergraduate degree and UT at Austin for my master's degree. Got it. Okay, so then when does the Jewish stuff start to heat up? All right, so I finished my uh, master's degree in uh, 2000, spring of 2000, and I was uh, very uh, blessed to get my uh, position at NASA. I got an offer to go work at NASA. Great, dream job, fantastic. So I start working at NASA in uh, September of 2000, and immediately, you know, one of the things that uh, people start asking me, again, we're in Houston, so, you know, very heavily Christian area, and people find out I'm Jewish, and they say, oh, you're Jewish, that's so cool, you know, do Jews believe in this, and do you celebrate that, and, and this and that, and so on and so forth. And I found that um, my education, or my ability to answer those questions, was really lacking. And I felt, uh, you know, I felt ashamed in some sense that here I was, a Jew, uh, professing to love Judaism and professing that Judaism is important to me, yet I really couldn't talk about it. I couldn't talk intelligently about it. I certain could, certainly couldn't answer a whole lot of questions about it. And I said, well, that's not right. You know, I, I need to change that. So Did it, that did was, it occur to you uh, that um, you were so educated in your secular studies and so uneducated in the Jewish ones? Because that's something that I think is uh, something that people should consider that we people do double and triple majors now when undergraduate graduate isn't enough. Most people now are going for masters and, you know, graduate degrees beyond that. And for our own, uh, you know, sources and texts, we're so illiterate. I'm saying, did, did that sort of discrepancy or sort of hypocrisy hit you at all that you had so much education in one way or not another, or just more like it was embarrassing to not know who you were? I would say more the latter, more the latter, mm -hmm. because the, I never really, um, I would say I didn't really compare the two in that way, meaning I go to school to study, to learn how to do what I was going to do in the working world. Religion wasn't really something I studied. Uh, you know, I, I think probably at the time I thought, okay, there's, there's religious scholars and there's, there's rabbis, and you know, those people, they study the religion, right. but I just kind of did the religion. I didn't really learn about the religion. So this whole notion of studying and learning, which is obviously so central to a Torah observant Jew, really was, uh, you know, that, that whole concept was very foreign to me. That, you know, I did Judaism and I did the religious practice, and being a Jew was important, but I couldn't tell you why. Got it. Okay, so then what, so you wanted to learn more, and then where did you go? Someone actually just wrote to us last night saying she wants to get started on her journey. What next? So maybe you can give some advice. What, do you, what is a Jew who wants yeah, to learn absolutely. more in the middle of Houston do? <laughs> absolutely. So one other aspect that I want to add in to, uh, to kind of what, what got me on the, uh, the path a lot. Of, some of it was the the questions that I was getting at work. At the, the other thing was that I was uh, uh, dating and, and falling in love 
with uh, a non-Jewish woman. And uh, at that time, <clears throat> I started to attend a lunch and learn program that was one run by uh, an outreach rabbi here in Houston, uh, or was here in Houston at the time, uh, named Rabbi Yaakov Flitsky, uh, who's still very close to me. And uh, I vividly remember sitting down with him and saying, after one of these lunch and learns, and we had a, a good three-hour talk afterwards, and I remember explaining to him, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love with this girl, I don't really know what to do. And so between that, so what he responded to was, uh, thank God, not a, you know, you're, you're bad, how could you be doing that? It was a, it was a very uh, calm and, uh, and thought-provoking discussion, and at the end of it, he recommended that I attend a, a uh, religious retreat program, it's a retreat program, Jewish retreat program, called Heritage Retreats, uh, which I decided was probably a good thing to do. Uh, I actually used to recruit for the, the East the Coast program. version of that called Sinai Retreats, so I, I know the program well. Yeah, yeah, so it's uh, run by Rabbi Mordechai Kreitenberg, and uh, it, it was, so I didn't end up going on the program that year, but I ended up going on the following year, uh, again, it was all these things that were kind of coming together, saying, yeah, this is probably a good thing to do. And I went on the program, I went on the program, uh, and it was an unbelievably life-altering, moving experience for me. Uh, what Part of what, 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 was, what made it so wonderful was that the rabbis on this program didn't shove Judaism down my throat. They simply presented it uh, as one would present food on a table at a banquet. And I was able to take the information and process it and, uh, and, and kind of absorb it at my own rate and begin to inculcate and incorporate uh, those beliefs and the changes in the beliefs I was experiencing at my own pace. So it was a, it was a very, very wonderful program. I loved it so much, in fact, that I ended up going on it again the following year. Mm. Um, and in between my first and second times, I didn't start practicing more, but I still... Uh, was definitely starting to learn more. Started to go to classes, started to ask questions, um, started to participate more in the uh, outreach programs uh, and the outreach organization uh, that's in Houston now called Torch, which is the Torah mm -hmm. Outreach Resource Center of Houston. That's who Rabbi Lipsky was with. I started going to more classes and asking more questions. And after I went on that retreat program the second time when I came back from that, uh, that's when I really started to make changes in my in my religious observance. And slowly over time, began keeping more strict kosher, started to keep Shabbos more. Uh, but again, it was like, like any um, journey of religious growth. It, it, it was done in a measured, stage kind of way, and that's the way it should be. So is Actually, there anyone else, you, Shomer Shabbos, or any other from people at NASA? So there are, um, I, actually, the last time I counted, there were six Shomer Shabbos people at NASA, or, okay. or six I'd say more from people. There are actually a good number of Jews working at NASA. Well, that's not surprising. Um, the Jewish part, I'm saying the, um, I guess the question is when you have a minion, that's when there'll be some real, uh, real yeah, uh, people that, that know that dab regularly, a real uh, amount of, yeah. uh, of people. And how, how big is the organization in total compared to the six? Um, NASA as a whole? Yeah. You're, you're, you're asking about NASA as a whole? Oh, yeah. Like how many employees does it have? Oh, NASA, well, you've just even in Houston has thousands of employees, so it, it's, a, it's a pretty big organization. Got I can't it. quote the exact number, but it, it's in the number, it's in the multi-thousand number of Got employees. It. So it's, it's not a small campus that it's on. 
And so what we're uh, about halfway through, but I know I want to devote a little bit of time to hearing how you got into uh, the space studies. And I mean, I think a lot of kids, um, I mean, I saw Space Camp when I was a child and that was a cool movie. And we just took our kids, I guess, in D.C. Not We took to the to the new um I guess what the Air and Space Museum, Air and Space, Air and Space Museum. Museum, right? So, and my my six-year-old son was mm-hmm. watching the um, IMAX, and he turned to me and said, "I'm going to be an astronaut." I used to do the "No, it's too dangerous" <laughs> thing, and my husband said, "He's not going to become an astronaut. Just let him have a dream." So I, I bit my tongue for the second son. Um, so, um, <laughs> yes, that's literally these are literal conversations that happen in my household. Also, I realized while you were talking, you mentioned being in Houston. When they say in space movies, Houston, we have a problem. That's because um, NASA's in Houston? Is that what that means? Correct, because the mission control center for the human spaceflight, for the human vehicles like the space shuttle, the space station, uh, that control center is in Houston. So when an astronaut calls down from the vehicle, uh, they, they, the first thing they say is Houston. This is, uh, for example, they'll say for the ISS, uh, the, the, the kind of the name for the ISS is Alpha. So they'll call down Houston Alpha, we've got a problem, or Houston Alpha, such and such is happening. Wow. Okay. It makes so much sense that it would be actual Houston, but I just sort of thought that it was, it sort of meant something else, code for not Houston. No, no, no. It just means it's Houston just... as in the control center that's in Houston, Texas. Got it. Okay. Learning so much today. Okay. So like many kids, you maybe had dreams about space, but you stuck with it. So what made you decide to continue or I guess start these studies and continue along this path? Sure. Um, I would say one of the very first really wonderful memories I have as a child is going to the planetarium. Uh, Whenever our school, the Pure Hebrew Day School, and whenever we would take uh, field trips to the planetarium, that was always my favorite. I I loved astronomy. Uh, As a child, I studied Halley's Comet, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, I uh, I enjoyed math you know, math and science kind of things. I was a nerd. I was, a, you know, a kind of a nerdy kid growing up. Uh, and, you know, I, I loved that kind of stuff. And uh, what really solidified it for me, um, I also did see the Space Camp movie, but what really did it for me was when I, I went to Space Camp. Um, I went to, uh, you know, a sports camp for a number of years before that. It didn't really end up being my thing. Uh, but when I went to Space Camp, the summer between my 7th grade and 8th grade, I believe, that first time, I said, yeah, this is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. It was, uh, it was as formative, in some sense, as, the, uh, as that Heritage Treats program was. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I loved it so much that I went back three more times. Uh, after the summer after my eighth grade year, freshman year in high school, and then sophomore year in high school. And those were just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful memories. And it really uh, you know, galvanized my love of space and, and love of space exploration and desire to do it. Uh, one other kind of funny story that happened with that, which actually led eventually to studying aerospace engineering, is that I came away from space camp saying, I want to be an astronaut, just like your son did. So I want to be an astronaut, and I want to do this whole space thing. Um, so when I was in high school, as a senior in high school, you start meeting with your guidance counselor, you kind of start figuring out what college and I told him, I said, listen, you know, I want to be an astronaut, and I like doing all this kind of space stuff. And I vividly remember going through this kind of dot matrix printout of all the types of subjects that one could study in college related to that. And I remember that we came across this, this thing called aerospace engineering. 
And I said, well, that's okay. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds cool. You know, maybe I'll try that out. And I remember, uh, I remember I was talking with a girl at one point. And, you know, when you're senior, you start talking about we're going to start in college. And it's a regular topic of conversation. And she said, you know, what, what are you going to study in college? And I said, well, I'm going to study aerospace engineering. And you can't see the facial expression I'm making right now, but she did one of these, oh, oh, that's cool. So I said, okay, you know, this, must, this is good. I, I'm clearly, you know, if, if girls are smiling at me when I say aerospace engineering, this can't be all bad. So, uh, so that was good, uh, like a, uh, you know, good affirmation that I was on a good path. And then when I actually got to college and began studying aerospace, another bracha came our way, which is I had a wonderful professor, the very first professor of my very first class ever in college, was just the best. He uh, had this kind of calm, wonderful voice and good chalkboard handwriting and a you know, very good way to explain the material. And I ended up taking two other classes from him in college, and it just really solidified my love of not only to want to work at NASA and do space stuff, but also my love of, of orbital mechanics uh, and that whole field. And that's, so, and that's what I ended up studying. And I was, again, I, I consider myself very blessed to be able to do at work what I learned in school. Very cool. So, Okay, so we have the background of your Jewish journey, your uh, NASA journey. What is it like working in the office? Well, I guess, first of all, um, are there any challenges around, like, Shabbos or Yantif? Are there ever, like, any emergencies or, you know, that sort of a thing? What's kosher food like? Um, what's it like to be an Orthodox Jew in NASA? Sure thing, absolutely. So my, my day-to-day life kind of looks like this. Uh, from a kosher standpoint, that's the easy one. Um, simply put, there's no kosher food really in Clear Lake. So uh, in the, that's the suburb where, where uh, NASA is in Houston. And so I just bring my lunch with me every day, and I double wrap my food, and I stick it in the trace microwave oven, and I've done that for about 15 years without, uh, you know, uh, without really any kind of a problem. Um, I try to stay on top of the... Uh, Dafyomi learning program, and that's what I, so as I'm eating lunch, I try to, to, to take care of, uh, to learn the DAF of the day. Nice. And so that's kind of what my, uh, that's how my lunch hour looks at NASA uh, at work. And from a Shabbos standpoint, so I did have something, what happened once was when I was still working in, in, um, in uh, mission operations and what's in flight control, look at working in the mission control center, I had to support a mission once. Uh, and when you support, especially like a space shuttle mission that's flying to the space station, you know, that's a, roughly a two-week mission. That's your sh- and it's shift work. So whatever your shift is, let's say it's you know 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Or, or whatever it is, that's your shift every day for two weeks, you know, including Shabbos. And I and that at that time I was really just starting to observe Shabbos, and I told my 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 coworkers and my boss, I said, hey, you know, I. I can't support over, you know, from my Friday night shift, you know, through Saturday night. And uh, fortunately, my, my coworkers were, one of my coworkers was able to support that shift for me, and it did not uh, end up being an issue. And that was a, a big lesson that I learned at the time was to always try to be prepared uh, in the workplace and to anticipate where these pinch points or, or problem areas could be and, you know, work with your employer and be very respectful of your employer and, and do what you can to work things out. In the last a uh, couple of years now that I've moved out of doing uh, flight control and work and working in mission control. Now I work in uh, engineering, uh, where we do this the, the development of Orion. 
uh, no one really works on the weekends, certainly not in the office. Uh, a lot of people do work on the weekends, but not in the office. So Shabbos and Yom Tov observance uh, doesn't really ever conflict with my work. Now, that being said, um, I do let my, you know, my bosses now are, are down with the whole, hey, Aaron's not going to be here for about three weeks in the September-October time frame. I try to let them know about that well in advance and make sure that anything that needs to be covered is covered. Uh, but they, they know that, and they know that that's a part of me and who I am, and, and they respect that. And that's one of the reasons that I really love working at NASA. It's a very family-friendly environment. They're very religiously tolerant there, and they allow me to be who I am uh, without, uh, you know, without any difficulty. Cool. Um, and what about, and this is a question that we have to ask all um, of our science, uh, you know, related Orthodox Jews, how do you deal with science and Torah? How, is it a, a challenge, a struggle? Does it fit together quite easily for you? For me, uh, it fits, uh, at least conceptually, it fits together easily. And uh, the reason I say that is because I believe that the Torah, obviously, is the MS, is the truth. And I believe that science presents itself as the truth. And so if, if both are true, if two things are true, they obviously can't be in conflict with each other by definition. So when someone sees a potential conflict, obviously, you know, the classic case is the age of the universe. That's the most classic question asked about this. So when someone sees a perceived um, disagreements, machloket, if you will, between science and what the Torah says, uh, we Jews have to do our due diligence and resolve the answer to that question, and not just toss it aside to say, well, either the Torah is wrong, clearly the science is right, or the opposite, to say, well, clearly the science is wrong and the Torah must be right. They're both right, and our job as Jews is to really... Um, figure out how they fit together, because that's how you get the full picture of the MS. So that's, that's how I like to um, synthesize and put together uh, science and Torah, at least in my mind. And it's really, it sounds like it's a process that it requires work, not just, I think you could be a little bit lazy and just dismiss one or the other, but sort of struggle through it until you can that's find the easy uh, thing. And you find the answer. Yeah. That's the, uh, like, like many things in life, that's, that's the easy thing to do. The tough thing is to actually learn about them and learn about both and figure both out and see how they mesh together. And in our last uh, couple minutes before we close out now, um, STEM is very big now. I mean, big in general, especially for girls. Um, Any advice on any of our young listeners who are listening that are from that want to go to space camp, that want to have a career maybe to be rocket scientists themselves one day? Any words of wisdom? I think that uh, STEM, obviously, I'm, I'm obviously a massive proponent of any kind of STEM, any and all kinds of STEM education. Uh, there is a rabbi in our town whose daughter is going into electrical engineering, and uh, he's, a, he's actually our, our Dafyomi rabbi, and he, his daughter is going into electrical engineering. I can't remember what college. But I thought that that's so awesome that, uh, you know, to, to hear cases of, of from girls that do go into these kinds of educational fields. Uh, I think that that STEM is only going to grow in its importance. It's not going to decrease. If you look around and you look at the, the, the levels of technology that we have today and the advances in computers and the power of computers that we have today, 3D printing, self-driving cars, medical technology, 
aerospace. It, 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 is, it, is so, it is such a burgeoning field, and now I think more than ever do we have a need for that education. So I encourage, uh, I encourage any girls, from not from, uh, to, to go into those fields and, and to excel in those fields, because the truth is, right or wrong, uh, women are underrepresented, I believe, in those fields. They, they, it's it's, it's male-dominated, not completely a lot of women in STEM, but it's, there are more men in it than, than women, so I think women have a fantastic place and a fantastic opportunity uh, and should be encouraged to, to pursue that kind of an education, a STEM education. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Aaron. Thank you very much, Allison. It's a great pleasure to be uh, on the show today. Thank you. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.